Hello, Jeremy. Hey, Raphael. What's going on? Well, well, I was going to talk well, about. Well, <laughs> silence is deadly in podcast world. We can't be quiet. No, yeah, you know you're not. Moving. Well, you know you're not supposed to say. You know you're not supposed to tell people you're busy. Apparently, that's like a really uh, disingenuous like thing to say. Like that, that's like impolite to say. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the definition of busy it kind of means like you're lower on the priority list. Like everyone has the same amount of time. Yeah, I was gonna say it looks like you've been busy, and I was like, is it rude for me to tell Raf he looks busy? Yeah. yeah, I know. I was always very proud to say that I hardly worked, but that lately I've been working a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you've become like, it's like we've switched places. I'm like the vacation capitalist. I'm like the yeah. Tim Ferriss, and you're the, now you're like the, I know. You're grinding it out, you know, yeah. hustle, hustle culture artist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hustle harder. Yeah, yeah. But it's really fun. I think that's why. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the so weird. Uh, that's the funny thing about, um, Hustling. I was I was hustling on Friday. Like there was an emergency thing at work or something, and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> it was like we got something but, done but, in yeah, one day. I, yeah. I find that word hustling. It it kind of sounds like uh, you're riding a bicycle, delivering pizzas, and at the same time you're doing telemarketing on your phone. And like, mm-hmm. doesn't sound like a purpose driven life or something. I, Maybe yeah. I think it got lost. Well, there you know, got lost in the mix of words that were. Yeah. That were they were they were it was used sort of like to um, to justify unhealth like an unhealthy burnout lifestyle. Yeah, right. But it yeah. wasn't it also to justify gig culture and to make it sound like yeah. Oh, you're, you're delivering pizzas, but you can say you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. And like abusing abusing people and saying like, oh, you don't need vacation. You're a hustler. Yeah, or like you know, and like that you have you have to hustle, you know, for no money. You know, hustle hard. It's kind of the yeah, you know yeah. part of the attention economy was also like part of like doing work just for exposure. You know, and I think in creative circles, <laughs> it's, it's really we, bad. we can't pay you, but it's great exposure. Yeah. yeah, of course we know. Like, I was just talking to a fashion designer, and like in that world, it's even worse. Like, yeah, you know, oh, get your yeah. get your look on the runway for exposure, kind of thing. It's just like, yeah, oh man. But the blockchain is going to solve everything. Oh, because we could have like runway shows on the blockchain. Yeah, exactly. Oh. And then you get royalties. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, no, no. But yeah, this week uh, you watched a bunch of shows about hustle culture. I mentioned it a few times on the podcast, but a bunch of them are wrap are wrapping up or nearing the end of the season. I haven't watched the Elizabeth Holmes one, but I I watched one about WeWork and one about Uber. It is a funny moment in in cinema television history that they have to make movies about nerds behind computers and it's kind of it's like I, I haven't seen the shows you're talking about but it's always a lot of pop-ups with instagram posts and chats and well there's a bunch of things kinda, that are kind of interesting about it from that yeah. perspective though it is like a bookend on an era like and i think the pandemic was the door closing in some ways on do you aspects f- yeah of the era. It, it, like things went from startup to uh, public companies and that just means that things are more formal and there's more legal repercussions and <clears throat> well some of those thoughtful. startups did go public yeah i mean there are still startups i work for a but startup. is is it is it is that a general because you've been in corporate world more than i have is that once you go public the culture changes 
Um, it's bef- yeah, before that, like so, getting ready to go public does typically. So, so all of a sudden, the numbers matter, and like in the beginning, it's just an adventure, and, and yeah. you're not looking at the spreadsheet. The w- so, yeah, I don't know. the way I often joke about it is like the spreadsheet people, you know, enter the room, and then it's like every decision is, you know, more closely managed. Um, and, and usually yeah. the founder gets pushed out. That's the typical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But well, uh, our great hero Clayton Christensen, he, he wrote about how Japan was so creative in the seventies, and inventing the Walkman and the Porta Pack and all these things. And then they're like, "Let's get some business experts." So they hired all these American spreadsheet people, mm-hmm. who then said, "What is all this R and D? You should just make your assembly line more efficient, so you have more profit." And ever since, they lost the, the their magic. Yeah, no, I, I was, have you watched this show Tokyo Vice? It's like, it's uh, set in Japan in the 90s it's on HBO. Yeah, Max. well, uh, like you said, I've just been working, so I haven't been watching. Okay, shows. like, I'm just like, it sounds like all I've been doing is watching TV, but so just yeah. like, bear with me. <laughs> we switched like, roles. Yeah, it's like yeah. set in the 90s. And so, but that's kind of the last time Japan had that, you know, advantage, like just the creative energy end of the Walkman era, you know, they started to lose it with the, the Discman. Discman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Discman, I think, was probably their last. Well, there was the PlayStation is still the shining star of the of Sony, right? But I mean, Sony's not the only company. In Japan. And then they they they've made some incredible movies along the way. So you can't say they're not creative. But, but you know what's yeah. interesting about Sony actually as a company is it was engineering driven, and so they just they had this like l- culture of engineers coming up with. In nerds inventing, inventing what they stuff, want to use yeah. themselves and then they would and find I, I th- a way to I product think, it I think uh, that you know I'm always creativity first but I think any success story is just someone with a small simple problem like oh why can't I order a car or why can't I rent someone's house when they're out of town or whatever and it's always I mean that's the story of Airbnb like oh we had some friends over we could, we could put you know it, maybe they romanticize it but it does seem like starting with a it's something i learned in art school but it's kind of true in business as well like the most personal is the most universal mm. the does, most... does that make sense like not doing market research not thinking like what does oh, everybody want but what do i want that's something that I, I always drill into our discussions like art is about what do i want yeah it's interesting and by being very personal from whatever background you're from whatever your dreams are whatever your interests are but by being honest with what you really want, then you reach an essence, and that essence then can translate to. And I think that's we're basically saying that the same thing happens in business, like just well, these very personal observations. It doesn't. It doesn't. Like I think that's right. That's what the founder CEO kind of does, right? They have the vision. It's based on their own experience. The criticism, of course, is that a lot of those founder CEOs for a long time were like white men living in California, right? But so they created the dorm room lifestyle in the form of apps. That that's that's the criticism. Yeah, and then that that of course created like a like I made artwork about this, and a lot of people did. Like that created a culture of you know the apps that they created reinforced a culture. Instead of instead of being like oh I'll make a an easier tool for scheduling hospitals so we can use it more efficiently or real problems like that. Well, I mean, some of the more typical examples would be like women's uh health issues you know are are, are much yeah, less or the managed elderly and researched or, or, or whatever yeah. is not on the horizon uh, people but this, and it, it, this predates software like you, i think i've used the example of car design right on the show before so yeah but I've, but you could imagine someone inventing an app that uh finds ways for you to reduce debt and find better loans and and find real honest ways to do that but 
if you're a trust fund kid, you're just not going to think about that. Mm-hmm. Instead, you get Robin Hood. It's like games. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So th- watching these shows, though, is kind of nostalgic, to be honest with you. And I know, you know, it's funny. It's like most people watching it would be like, oh, these like bastards. They're like such assholes and stuff. And I should not have read it. And Kristen, you know, was watching me watch it. And I was like getting kind of emotional because I've seen the founder CEO in these positions where, you know, they've put their whole identity and life into the company. And therefore, even their social lives are kind of embedded in it. The party culture, they're really enjoying the company itself, almost like a rec room or like more than that. Well, they, 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 when I know when the companies got bigger, they all designed these offices that kind of look like playgrounds with with swings yeah i remember i went on a research trip and... to google to look at their slide because we were like we got to get a slide <laughs> it's like an actual thing i did i drove no two one hours can take to us seriously unless slide. we have a slide yeah <clears throat> yeah they had a golf course they had all kinds of like mini golf um but yeah like the the free lunches and all of that stuff that's what's re- what i was looking when i was watching these shows though i was like wow like that's all gone i went to the office last week I, there was like a moldy kettle and like <laughs> like some Kirkland Lake <laughs> old tea bag. Yeah, I imagine like, like nothing. Like the, the cereal box filled with roaches <laughs> instead of cereal. <laughs> there was no snacks. Like there, like I looked in the it fridge. Sounds like it a smelled. zombie movie. And like you it was building. It was yeah. like there, and and so I was like, wow. This Christina is like, said the same thing of their office. They just didn't care anymore. And you get that it's just like stacks of paper. Like where does these, <laughs> does this even come yeah. from? <laughs> no, there's like you know stacks of all kinds of like promotional material and things. Yeah, stuff that like, but it's almost like someone made an effort to make a dystopian <laughs> office. Yeah. So I, you know, and I don't think we're ever going to get back to this. Um, to that, that I, I predict that there will be at some point there will be a crisis and then the powers that be are like okay you're in the office or you're fired well I'll tell you the one of the reasons why I don't think we can get back to that is there was a lot of time spent not working and everyone kind of knew this <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but yeah, I knew yeah. people would play ping pong for like three hours a day <laughs> but know? isn't that even worse when people work from home well, now I think pe- there's two types of people. People who are working from home that are basically, they don't stop working. Like they're working until they go to sleep. That That's the, the live at work mantra. Yeah. It's not work from home. It's and then there are people work. that are realized, yeah, like they can actually have a better life if they work from home and they can balance and no one's looking over their has, shoulder. Has anyone created an AI sort of bot Zoom avatar that just goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm? And then they just go and do other stuff. <laughs> like hovering art director, but as a like a bot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Great question. Move to the okay. left. Make it more yeah. blue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you make the logo bigger? Yeah. 10% bigger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would make me feel comfortable, though that was yeah. always my job. But there should be, they should build something inside of Zoom, like a plug-in. When there's so many meetings people have where you're not supposed to say anything, you're just supposed to be there and leave your video on mm-hmm. and... That could be something that could be automated. We just have an avatar that, yeah. Yeah, but the like, so let's just take the party as an example of like what was considered indulgent. And there were articles written about this in like every major magazine, like, you know, from the dot com boom, right? Like to the bubble bursting and then like the second wave which started in it's like a sign. You mean like when they splurge money like that, it's a sign that you need to. It's, 
you don't call it a recession, but you call it a reset or something economic. Yeah, well, in the in the both fat. of these shows, they really emphasize the drinking and the partying, and then they also emphasize like the chauvinism. As it, but you, you, yeah, how much of that felt true, and how much of that felt like we need a cinematic device to show the insanity because nerds behind the computer doesn't work on the camera. Okay, so the the party thing and the weird like you know festivities and stuff like that kind of motivation is 100% real. Like the level of chauvinism that is in like was happened at Uber, I didn't experience to that level. But well, Uber the name already when I saw that name I, I immediately think of World War II. I was like, "Oh, that's a nasty name." Yeah. But like even on the WeWork side of things, they you know, there's an incestuous kind of th- situation where the CEO and his wife are both like you know, involved in the company and they do, you know, they do things for themselves through the company. Like I've seen less of less of that, but I also have seen it. Like uh, I've seen people in relationships and it hasn't been negative all the time. I don't know. Like the party but thing I, though really stood out because. But do, do you really think, for example, that Bill Gates was doing this when he was 25? Like throwing yes. crazy. It's hard to imagine. Bill Gates got in a bunch of trouble for being like, you know, for having an affair with his uh, receptionist or something like that. That was like last year's scandal, mm. and apparently mm. Bill Gates was a total jerk. Like I don't, I don't know how Bill Gates well, has managed his reputation as yeah. well. But like he's and I guess it, charity he helps. Was re- yeah. Well, maybe it's the Gates Foundation. But then his <clears throat> wife has come out and said he was like a total, you know, arrogant asshole and slept with his secretary. Right. So, but um, is it how hard is it to not be arrogant when you're that successful? <laughs> and it's and it's also a chicken or the egg question, like. Can you become successful by if you're a modest person? I think that's what these two shows, well, at least the Uber show, Super Pumped, which is on like HBO Max, it proposes that like, you know, Travis believes that what it takes. He believed that's what it took. And I've met I've met founder CEOs like that before. I've also met founder CEOs who regret having that stance. Um, I've met a lot of founders like I, I think outside of artists, founders I know more. I know as many founders almost as artists at this point, and founders are my customer at Clearco. But what's true about a lot of them is that they pour a lot of their identity into their companies. That's true for a bunch. Then some of them pour no identity and they just care about selling the company. It's all about money. But there is a difference. Like there are people who really wrap their identity up in it. The, the, and then let's call it the crazy founder. Well, that's what they. That's kind of what they propose in both of these shows, especially actually in the WeWork one, because like the WeWork founder, I mean, they have Jared Leto playing him, and they they play him off as like totally insane, and that you know um, that everyone that uh, the the guy that at SoftBank, oh, why am I blank on his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Who made the crazy keynote? Yeah, but he PowerPoint. but he like encourages Leto to be like. Be more crazy, you know. You gotta, have, you got go go ten yeah. times crazier. There, there is that element in the art world as well, where friends of mine, all the artists that just want to be alone Massa. in the studio and shy, and then they have a dinner with collectors, and the collectors are like, "Do you do drugs? Let's do drugs. Yeah, let's be crazy." And the artist is like, "Uh, oh, I don't do drugs. I, don't <laughs> yeah. do, I just paint." Yeah, that's a good and, example, actually. Yeah, I never thought of that, but you know, I I, I have never been one of those. The, the artist that drinks and does drugs. I've been in those situations where you meet those people, and I'm the one going to bed early, and I was always like, "I guess I'm not cut out for this." <laughs> it's yeah. like, but the, then I met I mean, you, and you work hard, and don't drink and yeah. do drugs. So, but the I know Roy Lichtenstein. 
I heard from people who worked with him in his foundation and who worked with him while he was alive, and he seemed like a very stable, nice, pleasant person. Yeah. And I was surprised. It's like, oh, you don't have to be a total jerk to Well, you know, it's funny. You, like, um, I was listening to a podcast this, today, and they were talking about how Tom Cruise was really hard work. <laughs> like, they're like, Tom Cruise, you know what? I've worked with that guy. He's like, he's always first on set. He knows all his lines. He gets it done. You know, despite what you would think about I mean, him being yeah, crazy. despite what you think, he's a very entertaining actor. Like, he can really carry him. But he's also, like, um, apparently a consummate professional. Uh, and and Well, I also heard that Bill Cosby was a consummate professional on set. It doesn't mean they're a decent person I know. outside of the set. I think yeah. we're getting into territory that you would call dangerous because you can't really generalize this stuff. No, no. that. But that's I have sure. met enough founder CEOs that are a little bit strange <laughs> and a lot like um they use this show this this term in the show of like they have not perseverance but um another term like the ability to withstand pain over yeah. over time i think fortitude is the term and and i think you know you it because they're like i've always said it's, the world no one in the world wants to be true. an artist like I, you know i have friends i have friends who used to be founders and then were proposed to be CEO of another company is like I don't want to go through all that shit again. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. And like, if you're kind of financially secure and you're like, do I really not want to see my family for four years and be tired all the time? And I think there's something about being young that you don't know yet what's going to happen. And like, once you've done it, it's it seems insane afterwards. And yeah, I mean, yeah. there are serial founders though. Like Travis Kalanick did actually. You know, he got fired from Uber. And then he has started a new company that's worth already like five billion. It's like, isn't it? It's like kitchens. a, yeah. But he's using unused old malls to convert yeah, them to yeah, ghost kitchens. Yeah, yeah. it does seem sounds crazy. like a good idea. I, I guess so. They could yeah. be libraries, but hey, sure, let's make them ghost kitchens. But there, yeah. I, I have heard that there's like an unusual amount of like mall real estate in the U.S. that's unused. Um, might as yeah, well, exactly. Might as well use yeah. it. I, I, it's it's so funny the different personality type where. Someone working writing for Eflux would look at dead malls and then write a whole book about the end of capitalism. And Travis Kalanick is like, "Ooh, let's make some money." <laughs> Opportunity. Yeah. It's the exact same problem. It's just a different personality. I mean, I like, my day job is yeah to work in among people that are looking for that type of opportunity, like the slightest exploit. You know, if yeah. we did this, we could get this advantage. Um, and I must admit, I really do enjoy that type of. Thinking so again, like as I'm watching this show, I was like, I knew I was supposed to hate the protagonist in both cases, but I kept being like, you know what, they're misunderstood. Well, <laughs> it's is, really is it hard. sort of in the same way that when you watch mafia films, you start liking the the, the people, even though they're psychopaths? Yeah, there's a little bit of Stockholm, Stockholm yeah. syndrome, I think, and um, like because, and I've also endured and that's, a certain that's maybe amount of, like, that's maybe an American quality that uh, no matter what they want to make it. Like happy ending, pleasant, likable characters, mm. and uh, you know when you watch The Godfather or The Sopranos, you start liking Tony Soprano, or even though he's an asshole. And then there's this Italian mafia series in the movie Gomorra, and you just start to hate the characters more and more, and you really don't want to be. Mm. You look at the, they're like human trafficking, yeah. beating up women, and you're like, oh my god, this is so horrible. And they're depressed, and there's no there's no payoff, there's no fun, and. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like Uber did some terrible things as a company, like, you know, tr- with people's privacy and 
there were murders and I have sexual to say, assaults. And yeah, but I have to say the taxi industry was not that innocent. Either. Well, now you can use, you can hail a taxi in New York using the Uber app. Ironic. Yeah, but I know I know that the taxi service in Amsterdam was so bad yeah. that there was there was literal fist fights and like. No, I remember there was, uh, they. No, the, there was a there yeah. was a tourist in, in Amsterdam on Leitse Plain who got in a cab and argued about the fare, and the driver beat him to death. <laughs> like, it, it's it's easy to go to Uber and say you guys are bad, but yeah. I've been in a bunch of cabs where just I got ripped off. The, I would let's say the ride was seven fifty, and I gave them twenty euros, and they're like, I don't have change. Yeah. This is before apps and all that shit. And there's nothing you can do. It just takes your money. And it was always such an awful feeling and no repercussion because there wasn't that uh, connection through the network. So, no, yeah, I remember, um, you know, the credit card machine was always broken. Yeah. all the, <laughs> so, so I'd be like, okay, you're going to have to drive me to an ATM. They're like, yep, that's what we're going to do. And I'd be like, no, what crazy. I mean is like Uber's not innocent, but they really fixed the problem of like, disgusting cabs people driving like crazy in traffic at, at lethal speeds and that kind of stuff and so you know uber can be improved and maybe there needs to be more competition well, etc yeah. but they really solve the problem in in the final episode they kind of like tip their hat by like you know the the what they believe they could have done differently because they like they quote the value of Lyft and Lyft's public stock you know is worth the same amount as uber right but Lyft took a very different path to achieve success now it did follow uber so it copied basically uber's playbook and uber had to break all the rules and then lyft kind of just like took advantage of that is lyft still the same uh, like uh, as far as uh, rides are they in the same ballpark as uber i think so but uber now makes more money from uh delivering food oh yeah than from yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, driving folks which is like yeah. crazy and they just announced this week that we have to distinguish between old Uber and like new Uber, but that's kind well, they of what want we're to be the today. operating system for the last mile terms like that. Yeah, yeah, we both listen to Pivot podcasts, but I think like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they, yeah, they want to take over. Like they want you to be able to book a plane or you know pay for parking or do anything related to transportation. Yeah, um, I use the Lyft app to rent city bike. I think it's yeah, yeah, really, that's cool. Yeah, but but overall, and and you know how sometimes movies can be inspiring. Like someone watches Rocky, and they're like, "Oh, I want to be an athlete. Or I want to go for it." Did, did that have any effect here? No, no, they felt- didn't. They don't present the the characters that way. But I think no. you know, as a connection to art, recently it's been on my mind because there are two two kind of stories. One, this is I'm I'm working at a new startup. I was working at FreshBooks for years, and the CEO there always compared himself to an artist. And then he he would say, great artists ship. And then at this new startup, Michelle, our CEO, you know, and I was in a meeting with her the other day, or she was in a town hall or something, and she was like, I want, you know, we got to obey deadlines, you know, great artists ship. And I'm like, this... You feel like you're in Groundhog Day. Well, it's just like, okay, first of all, you know, for our audience, I don't know if this is a revelation, maybe it's not, but like the fact that like CEOs are going around comparing themselves to artists and corporate corporations to art might come as a surprise to you, but it's like the most often cited thing um, that I've experienced. Why, why do you think they do that? What's the, why can't they say 
great businessmanship. Why 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 do they have to say great artists, great business people? I want to I, I want to believe that artists. You know, there's there's one argument out there that I, you know I see it on Twitter almost you know every every week. You know, there's the argument that artists are the R and D lab for the world, right? And so they're the original disruptors, right? And then like, for example, like you know, text-to-speech, like, which is the basis of, like, you know who, like, uh, I don't want to say her name, Alexa, whatever. Um, but, and, you know... Was it Ray Kurzweil who started that? But, like, yeah, but artists... I remember artists experimenting with that, like, you know, in gallery shows well, for, like... You could say years. sci-fi writers are really the R&D for the tech world. Yeah, but, like, you know, computer vision, I could go on, like, you know, augmented reality, all of these things were first But I think the reason they artists. say it is that Artists are supposed to work outside of economic reasons. Mm-hmm. They just work purely on passion. Yeah, uh, and and so it's a platonic so ideal. Like I'm not in it for the money. Yeah. I'm in it for the soul. And, and I think that that's yeah. the other way to interpret it, which is probably the correct way. But I mean, not the correct way, but the way that most they're using it versus like what I believe the reality to be actually is the artist is <laughs> very close to the entrepreneur they just don't mo- they're just too early to monetize um their endeavor nor do they care about scale as yeah. soon as there's a scale opportunity they're like yeah you know what? i'm bored of it like i'm just like I well the, it, it, i think uh even to argue a little bit uh, to extend this argument a lot of developers and and tech people are now moving to web3 because at this point web2 is so streamlined that it's more a game of lawyers and policy and it gets really boring well who's so, the first who are the first people there too Artists, yeah. right? Artists and weirdos, yeah. obviously. Yeah, right? yeah. But, but so I, I understand that impulse of like, oh, now comes the boring part of just optimizing and less creativity. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so uh, the artists will move on. They'll like find something else. But I remember talking about crypto with artists a decade before our current. Well, state. yeah, Kevin McCoy invented the NFT. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's and- a good example. He even tried to set up a business, but. He's just not a business person, so you know he had the the, the spark, but he didn't have the trajectory to. Yeah, and before Casey did uh, Feral File, he did A two P, which was just artists exchanging editions as oh, an yeah, experiment. Yeah. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> you know, it's like it's no surprise to me, but it's like it's funny. There's this. Have you ever read that book, Art and Fear, or heard about it? Art, um, there's this parable in it that's another interesting one that gets picked up. I think sometimes in entrepreneurial circles and i quoted it recently in like linkedin but it's have you ever heard the parable of the like ceramics teacher no it's another funny one so this you know the ceramics teacher walks into the classroom and says like half the class is going to be graded um on the quality of their pots on uh, of one pot you know and the other half is going to be graded only on the sheer amount of weight of volume of pots they create (laughs) so i'm going to use this bathroom scale i'm going to weigh the pots and to his surprise, at the end of the semester, those who had, you know, created the greatest volume had also created the highest quality number of the pots, while those who had been, you know, tasked with creating one great pot had spent so much time talking about and theorizing about a great pot that all they had was dry clay. <laughs> so what's the... It, well, the parable in business is you, gotta, you have to, like, you know... Go, move fast and iterate, right? And well, that's the, the 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 quote. You have to think with your brush. Uh, yeah, I think Picasso said that. But th- there's this thing in art school that everybody just talks forever because 
once you go to the material, you you can feel. But as long as you're talking, it's all in the in the ideal in your mind. So you're seeing this beautiful project, and you're like, I'm gonna create something amazing, and it's gonna change the world, and everybody's gonna laugh, and everybody's gonna cry, and it's gonna be so beautiful. Yeah. And it's like, well, what is it? Just wait, just wait. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of. Um when I was in grad school, I was I hung out with a lot of photographers and it really like it really stunned me to find out how many photos they took. Like this is before digital photography or yeah. digital photography yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. was like not You mean the contact sheets in black and white with yeah, the they would, pen? And they, like, so they'd have yeah. they'd be like I'm gonna shoot a hundred rolls of film this weekend or something. Yeah. I'd be like, how are you gonna even process all that and like look through it? And it's like and then they they're like, well photography is not about taking pictures, Jeremy, it's about editing. Um, it's about like accidents and uh, finding, you know, brilliant ideas and things you didn't know were going to be interesting. Um, so I, I think that that is actually true in business as well. And so a lot of these like artist sayings, I think, end up in the hands of these entrepreneurs. And they're like, wait a second, like, because the myth of business is that it's like, a spreadsheet, right? Like we talked, that's where we started this conversation. But for the, for, before product market fit and while a business is scaling up, like where it's trying to find like anything, like it's grasping for like any kind of solid surface to hang on to, it's a very creative, um, creative, chaotic uh, enterprise, right? And then I think eventually, yes, it does become well, orderly, but. Yeah, when, when you think about the start of Facebook, it's just, Zuckerberg making this clone. Well, they of used to have that saying like "move fast and break things," right? They, yeah, yeah. They didn't have but, it for but a when long you time, think about but... it, like that that thing he or like the start of Snapchat, it's it's just almost like art students like oh, I got a funny idea for an app. Let's mm-hmm. code it in three days and see what it does, and that's the that's the creative fun part. After that comes all the work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but you can hire people to do different parts of the work, and that essentially what I've been yeah, thinking about. Yeah, but is it the seems different... that the startups that succeed often are the ones where the founder can also make the first prototype because yeah. that was kind of the moral of the story of the social network, that movie, that the 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 Winklevi twins, they couldn't code it themselves, so they asked Zuckerberg, and he just postponed and postponed. So you have that edge if you're doing well, it Well, I, I mean, I do product manager training, and I had a call last week with someone that I had mentored a couple years ago, and they're like, yeah, I just got out of Y Combinator. We raised $2 million at a valuation of $20 million. Our company's doing great. We're going to start hiring engineers. And it's just like... You're like, what? You don't have engineers? <laughs> well, he had, they had done, like you said, they had done their for engineering as founders to start. But okay. I do think like one interesting thought experiment here is if I gave a, an artist that was starting out that had a brilliant, um, you know, brilliant kind of concept or initial body of work and I gave them like two million dollars at a 20 million dollar valuation you'd think I was crazy I'd be and I'm just gonna give you two million dollars to scale up this great idea artist right um, and that does happen every once in a while um, and it's happening more often now right with crypto I guess right like where it seems like that was the the Stefan Simkowitz model like find an artist and then like oh you got some money here. Out. I'll 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 buy the first hundred paintings. I'll I'll get you a studio, and then we'll yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So it was more like an incubator accelerator. Yeah. Um, I think like yeah, there's probably painters throughout and he, history he was that match demonized that. for that, but maybe it was a good strategy. Yeah. Well, I mean, you always hear of like the you know the the famous art dealers that do do that. They take 
specific artists who they see potential in under their wing and they did finance them or they do finance them. Um, but there's not, it's like if I was an independent artist, I guess it's not that different. I would, I'd still have to make friends with the venture capital firms and like network my way well, into Y Combinator or whatever. I do think um, the cost of making art nowadays, if, if you're doing the digital art thing, I don't think you need funding to scale. I think I've met quite a few of the very successful crypto artists, let's say, like uh, that did really well. And they just have, you know, one computer. Maybe they work from home. Maybe they have a studio. It doesn't even matter. And they're doing really well. I don't know if that funding really changed the way they work. Mm. All of a sudden, like hiring lots of people doesn't mean you work faster. No, there's actually, in, in there's, a, there's like a book Especially on with digital yeah. art. If, if you're making code-based experiments, like, yeah. I don't know. So the, 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 maybe that's the difference with art making. Like, I think there's been three decades now of superstar artists that all make giant sculptures and they need big teams. And there's like this whole infrastructure of factories that make work for different artists. And it's like the same factory is making a sculpture for Paul McCarthy and for Cause. And like, if you see them next to each other, they almost look the same. I think that era is kind of over. Like we're not going to have, um, you know, Vaseline uh, podiums with video playing and stuff, like Matthew Barney like <laughs> sculptures or sharks. Well, that's that's in, the type of uh, Matthew Barney is a good example where you really need funding to make those giant movies. And mm-hmm. I, I I love this scrappy upstart uh, NFT world where it's you know you just make some JPEGs or you make some code and nothing spectacular it's uh, you know well you remember when i went to byob like in new york that time that you invited like when we first met yeah the yeah. i had a message scrolling on my laptop 2010 yeah. yeah on my laptop i had this message scrolling it was i'll make more artwork of less value faster yeah <laughs> and that was in 2010 and i was responding to like this like attitude of uh, that i was exp- starting to experience in business of like you know, we got to move fast. And, you know, because it's a funny joke. The other thing CEOs have always said to me, it's like, there's literally always some program, like, we got to go 10 times faster. It's either like four times faster, 10 times faster. But their point is, like, we got to make mistakes faster, basically. Yeah, yeah. But it's also the the reason people invested so much in in software, as opposed to factories with, you know, the, the stuff in Shenzhen. Is the scale is so fast and and uh, the investment gets so much more return than if you have to build physical factories like Boeing. Mm-hmm. To scale Boeing is a lot more expensive than to scale Instagram. Yeah, and I think like speed until you're in any of these worlds, like it, you hear about how things move fast, like movies get made really quickly. You know, even the, you know, at, at, you know, at production at scale in any industry is shocking to experience firsthand, especially when you're young, right? You're like, what? Like, I had a whole semester to, to do my art project, and now you wanted me to create 10 art projects in one month? How am I going to do that, right? Um, I think that that's, like a, that's a whole other topic, but it's also part of, I don't know, like, you know, you're going through this right now where you're busier than ever, right? And in business, it's like, you've got to make take advantage while you have the opportunity. I remember when I was a freelancer, it was horrible though, because I would just take 
any job or you know because i didn't know if there were going to be jobs yeah i remember you said you were just always anxious that you couldn't say no yeah yeah and i and as an artist i still have a just say yes policy actually <laughs> um and at first that was just because i didn't have any well, opportunities yeah. i just never stopped this saying is, yes there's a story that Gerrit richter had he had the phone like a landline in his studio and he had painted the word no next to the phone he just said no as much as possible i just don't think that very many people can afford to do that like well that's again like the chicken or the egg question mm -hmm. it's like did he get big because of his focus or yeah 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 i mean i here's the one i've heard that did you see his biopic the, the movie about his life the gerhard richter life no yeah. no i didn't it's crazy when you see like he grew up he dealt with world war Two. then he dealt with communism then he had to flee to western germany and just all this hardship that like it's hard to fathom and it's funny when you have uh artists today uh, like maybe yeah. complaining like oh i didn't get the grant and you see like wow those are different times well, i don't really hear about those artist complaints where where do they where do you hear those things like on twitter and stuff no just personally like everyone has their grievances mm -hmm. and like oh i wasn't invited to this residency or whatever but it he went through a lot mm. i feel like i don't yeah i don't i'm not tuned in to the grievances anymore like i'm uh i'm like <laughs> <laughs> you, you've transcended you're just like you're this this sub sublime consciousness no well, like, i was talking i, 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 was I actually... don't feel pain anymore i just see people <laughs> i was talking to a uh, a young artist um a couple weeks ago and they were like they're like i have too much work there's too much abundance like there's too much demand you mm -hmm. know and you know, I and I and they're like, if I get if I wanted to create a grant, I could write it and get it tomorrow. It's funny. I just imagine you in this sort of playground that looks like a Google <laughs> between a Google office and a yoga center spiritual retreat, and everybody's just high fiving, and it's just like money flowing everywhere. It's like I don't know what to do with all this money. So much success. I just oh, I have to learn to say no. Haha. <laughs> Hi, Jeremy. Well, you know, like a friend of mine has a title, a job, funny job title. Her title is like director of abundance. <laughs> and I think like... You're really Willy Wonka. Yeah. The creator economy just created all these compartmentalized spaces for creativity, but you don't really have root access. So you're taught to work within the parameters of the platform. Yeah, and, and I think fundamentally... Don't step outside. That's why Web3 is okay. exciting to me personally. Like the idea... But even Web3... it. it you, you can see like most people mint on existing platforms. Very few make their own contracts. No, you're right. I, I'm still waiting for like the Shopify NFT integration. I think there's always going to be, you've always argued to me that the, like convenience trumps all else. Like people will always choose the most convenient option. Well, there's also the argument on the internet or anywhere that it's, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's 90% consumption 9% curation and 1% uh, creation. Mm -hmm. And so no matter what the technology, no matter what you do, it's always a small percentage of people creating and most people are consuming. Yeah. And is that a personality thing? It, can you solve that by offering people materials? I don't know. But people don't consume the content. I think that's one of the things that you, I think... Like we've talked about this on the podcast, like no, because AI in the future will be able to create any content you can imagine. It it's not the content itself is not what we need to have our eye on, right? Like I know that sounds like contradictory because it's like content is 
king or queen is what you always hear, right? But ultimately, it's the connections between content and networks of people that create value. Um, and like without community, there is no content value, which was is your point as well in regards to what I think you you know meant to say in regards to music culture. And you can create the same networked value in any creative form. But to just create alone, you might as well be a computer, you know, you might as well be a server on a rack in, in Shanghai or something like, or, you know, wherever, like you might as well just be, you know, on a rack in, in California, you know, running GPT-3 or what's the new one now that where you can like type in anything and it'll produce any image ever imagined. So like we're, the images don't mean are, are, are valueless. Like all images already exist would be my counter argument. It's community uh, that you can, I don't know. I don't know. Well, like if, for example, your images could easily be generated by a computer, but because well, they are generated by a computer, <laughs> yeah, no, they're code based. I know, but even the concept for it could be generated by a computer. It's, I don't think so. The, it's the argument of like if I gave a computer a no, grid, that was like the Google Dream thing where oh, this Google Dream thing is so creative and it just ended up, it just ended up being a dog filter, like. <laughs> I know, but it's gotten much more sophisticated. Now you can type in, like, show me I know you can an type otter in, in the style of, like, girl with a pearl earring, and it'll show you an like, I know, an but how, I think AI is is great at creating many options, but it's the human that then chooses the one, so. Yeah, okay, like, what I want to do is tie it back to this, like, Kalanak thing and the WeWork thing. Like, what's fascinating in all of these cases of, you know, entrepreneurs building companies is the value of the company is not the idea quite often it's like the network of people who believe in the idea enough you know to bring it to other people who then like uphold the value of that thing and which is very similar to how i think art value is constructed it's almost never constructed alone the idea of the outsider artist that you know a br- still requires the you know, curator to stumble upon the like the shed yeah you know but i do think that uh Art becoming digital, mm-hmm. and I, I think, you know, for a long time I was talking about art being digital in the theoretical sense. I think now we're really seeing it happening. Yeah, and yeah, it's and really, so it's it, really going to change. It, it's really going to change as much as classical music morphed into recorded music and into. And your argument is it allows for scale. That's what you're saying. It allows for scale, and it allows for a lot more participants because the yeah, audience is okay. so much bigger. So there you go. Like, but that scale, it, like. It's that's what I was talking about when I was like, if you pour two million dollars on the artist, so you're saying you don't need to anymore, which is great. It's a great, you know, there's a more efficient system now that allows for greater networked scale. And the rule of scale in capitalism that we use is in any um, if in any market, if you can reach 40 percent, you know, kind of like saturation, I think it's like, you know, in social media networks, they refer to like. 10,000 followers or whatever, if you can reach a certain scale, it's really hard to displace your value. Like, you can persist, which is what you would want for the most number of artists, right? For them not to well, give and, up and on their careers. I, I know uh, for a long time I had a large audience before social media, so they weren't followers, mm-hmm. but I had a large audience on my, uh, just web traffic, and it was kind of abstract. I just, I never, I was like, is this real? I would have Google Analytics and all, but be, even before Google Analytics, like my server would crash. I would mm. have high bills, 
And I just had this abstract audience that I I couldn't see their faces. Wasn't like I couldn't see the, dollar to, uh, had bought your followers or something. Just kidding. But <laughs> no, no, this is before social media. Oh, before I, I'm serious media. here for yeah. a second. You know, I and there was just this disconnect of the audience. So you could have there was that meme, internet famous but poor. So you you could be a meme or a famous website or whatever and make zero. It actually cost you money. All the audience, you know, before YouTube you, to host video, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So, I mean, that's the, the, the exciting part about Web3. Like, oh, we can connect the audience and... Oh, like liter- and literally track them? No, not track them, but they can purchase something. So there was always this audience that would see my stuff. And I'm just using my own work as an example of someone mm-hmm. who, for 20 years, had a lot of web traffic that I couldn't connect to the audience. Mm-hmm. No, but my point is, like, <laughs> Web3, like, literally connect... Like, the blockchain literally connects, like, through, you know... A record that has been verified. Yeah, but that's different from tracking because yeah. there's a there's a voluntary uh, action by the user. No, I know, but like it's like you you went from this world of anon- anonymous, you know, kind of yeah. fans to a world now where it's like, you know, there's no such thing as anonymous. There's only, I mean, of course, there are people that hide behind a hash or whatever. But yeah, I don't think the word anonymous is exactly right. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, but the connections are there for anyone to read. You know, they're on the on the chain, on the ledger. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Well, we, we wandered off into space. Yeah. Well, you know, my original point was am I nostalgic for or that I was feeling some nostalgia for this like bygone era, like watching these shows. I was like, Oh, I lived through that era and we've actually passed I, I thought that the the, the tech bro environments were really bad for parties because there's too many guys and the, the parties just the, the the opening scene of Silicon Valley, the, the show, the very first episode, mm-hmm. is just the most awkward party ever with Kid Rock singing and everybody has their back turned to no, the audience. Yeah, I remember the parties always being awkward, but some people really enjoyed them as well. Um, yeah. And but, but the reason I bring it up yeah. is that the art world has been trying to connect with Silicon Valley wealth and didn't. it was very hard to make the normal connection because the classic connections that the art world had a cool factor. Yeah. And then business people would be like, I want to be cool. How do I get in? And then that's that's the leverage they would use to bring people in. Yeah, there's like a famous article in The Atlantic called The Bacon-Wrapped Economy. And it was all about how the tech... Co- this is like ten, more than 10 years ago. Um, the tech companies, you know, all the whole art world wanted their attention. Yeah, and, and they just... Yeah, and they, but th- my point is that this tech world community just didn't bite it didn't think the art world was so cool mm-hmm. and they weren't interested in those parties mm-hmm. yeah they didn't yeah i mean the tech world also the way the lang- like that's i think actually that is a good point which my original you know kind of point was you know all these entrepreneurs and founders i know quote artists all the time like call themselves artists um and talk about shipping as if they're artists and then to your point, like for generations, they didn't, they'd never walked into a gallery show, right? So they, you know, they didn't, you could ask them if they knew an artist and they wouldn't be able to tell you that they knew an artist, right? So no, well, well, what they would call an artist would be like a concept artist for Star Wars who could make all kinds of fantasy planets with the, with his iPad and like, yeah, you know I, mean, I, mean? I don't know if that's true. It seems kind of mean, but I should, yeah, like we could do a well, survey or something. <laughs> but I, I hear you saying the cliche I was mean, like Comic Con, yeah. like, you know, yeah. that they would. And I'm not, I'm not saying that as yeah. that not being art. I'm just yeah. saying they have a different preference. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And, but it could be just about community and acceptance, right? And I think, like, because even in tech, it's a relatively vulnerable, like, insular society that, you know, where people are frustrated and angry that they're misunderstood, right? As much as, you know, you artists feel that they're the only ones who feel misunderstood. So they're, they're humans after Yeah, all. they're just as, yeah. like, messy and, like, fraught and... um they have they're just a billion times richer <laughs> they're just as messy well as first you, of all like only 0.1 percent of them are richer right like most yeah. people are not that much richer no i i don't agree with that point like yeah, you're sorry right. to no, be I, the disagreeing right. one but but the like <laughs> the salaries are a lot it, higher for sure the salaries and then if you get some uh stock options and stuff like there's a lot of people that did really well for not even being a genius no no you're you know, right like, yeah. yeah like oh you're employee number 200 you're a millionaire too yeah. Well, no, not only I think not just that, but like the entry level salaries in tech um, are higher now. Not for every role though. Like famously at Google, for example, they had like separate classes of workers. Do you? There was um, an artist friend of ours actually did a series on this. I'm blanking on the the series name, but you know the people that like were scanning books. They had this like Google book scanning project. Andrew Norman Wilson. He did a project where he like kind of, you know, tried to, he, he kind of looked at like these folks that were second class citizens at Google. They they scanned the books. They weren't allowed to use the cafeteria. They had like only certain level of access. Yeah, same with the, the content moderators that would look at, right, the, they at were Facebook outsourced. Yeah. 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 So there's yeah. been all these scandals where, you know, there are different classes of tech citizen. That said, like, if you're a designer, um, or a product manager, or even an entry-level engineer that's gone to a boot camp for three months, you can you can make more than an artist that's gone to school for eight years for sure. Um, yeah, but you're also yeah, going to no, grind out it, a really long. You also day. no. What I mean is, uh, when you talk about that sort of financial success, a not so bright person working in a tech company can still you know have. A really good life, two cars, pool, mm-hmm. kids go to college, all that stuff. And like a brilliant professor at a university could barely scrape by. So th- th- yeah. that's what I mean. Oh, yeah, things got fucked up at some point. I mean, it used to be that like, you know, the unions would protect certain, um, you know, classes of work. And anyone, you know, anyone with a college degree could go out and get a pretty good job and afford a house. But like now you in Toronto, where I live, like if you're a tech worker, you can't even afford a home. Um <laughs> Yeah, I it's certainly can. Well, I, I think they're going to build cheap housing on Mars, so that'll be nice. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I think that yeah. we could explore the oceans or oh, malls. <laughs> Abandoned Kalanick malls. Kalanick is going to. That'd be ironic Go, if in the end yeah. Uber figures out the affordable ghost housing. condos. Yeah. <laughs> and what about all those abandoned like uh, town, like cities in China? You always hear about those like ghost cities there that they build in yeah there's no jobs in ghost cities mm. i feel like that's another myth they're probably full of people by now yeah anyway um, all right we have a field recording oh yeah and this is a good flora one. miranda and it's like a nostalgic field recording of a party it's so perfect for this podcast in 2004 i believe yeah a long time ago from an art residency that her father hosted um and 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 she said that our audience would be the only audience who would care for this so that's why we're playing it for you because <laughs> we have such a rare and delightful 
the best audience, audience in the, the best world. Best audience in you the world. You guys. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening. And um, thank you. Yeah, we have like a backlog of field recordings, but no questions. And this is what you get when you don't ask a question. You get a rambling. <laughs> Jeremy watched yep. two television shows and he wants to talk about it. Um, but uh, yeah. thanks for listening and enjoy this uh, photo recording. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye.